Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald. Welcome to another IBC Continuum podcast. Today, we are extremely fortunate and blessed to welcome Sister Maureen Gary with the Dominican Sisters from Grand Rapids, Michigan, joining. Sister Maureen, welcome. Thank you, John. I'm very happy to be with you for this conversation. No, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm intrigued, and this, I, I think this is going to be wonderful for us, for me, and for our listeners. So to get started, can you just give us a little background, like where you grew up, and then we'll get into kind of, you went to Notre Dame for undergraduate school, and, and we'd like to talk a little bit about how you chose Notre Dame and, and your time at Notre Dame. So if you could start with that. Sure. So I grew up in the same place I currently live, Grand Rapids, Michigan, born and raised here. It's about two and a half hours, two hours and 15 minutes or so north of uh, South Bend. Um, so this is my hometown, and I have been uh, ministering and living here all my life, except for about 10 years when I was away for education, 10 or 11 years. Um, I guess my Notre Dame story would be, where else would I have gone? Uh, my dad was a graduate from 1937. And, um, you know, no pressure to go, but it's just kind of what we grew up with. And in stories, we had uh, family friends, a gentleman named Joe Zwiers, who was captain of the 1936 football team, who was a dear family friend. So that's just always where I wanted to go. Um, the interesting piece, of course, is that Notre Dame didn't go co-ed until 1972. And I graduated from high school in 1974, so it was sort of just in time that that's actually somewhere I could go. Uh, I have uh, four siblings plus myself who went to Notre Dame and wow. another sibling who went to a great local college here in Grand Rapids called Aquinas College. Aquinas. But it, it just really was, you know, we know it's a Catholic institution, excellent education, uh, lots of great activities. I always wanted to be in the marching band, and that dream came true. So uh, I can't say I ended up majoring in accounting. I don't really have accountants in my family other than my dad did a little bit of bookkeeping on the side. Um, but I knew they had a great accounting program. So everything just fit really well for me. So were you in the band all four years? I was in the band all four years and uh, probably made it just by the skin of my teeth. It was the year when they were expanding the size. Uh, so I was absolutely delighted and I have a distinct memory. Um, uh, in those days, you paid more for a phone call during business hours. So I waited till 7 p.m. on Friday night to call home and say I made the band. So that was an exciting thing for me. And you get to experience, if my memory serves correctly, that would have been Joe Montana and national championship in 77? Yes. That's right. Yeah. And actually, Joe Montana was in one of my statistics statistics classes. Oh, that's um, great. But yes. Yeah. So uh, actually, my very first plane trip was my freshman year at Notre Dame when we went to the Orange Bowl for ERA's last game and beat Alabama 13 to 11. What a fantastic memory. So I have great, I have great travel memories. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful travel opportunities with the band and great folks to build friendships with. So after graduating from Notre Dame, you have an accounting degree. What did you do? What was your next step? Uh, upon graduation, I joined uh, the Grand Rapids office of Ernst & Young. Uh, many will know that that company went through several iterations. I actually interned with them before my senior year when they were Ernst & Ernst. 
And then uh, I've kind of forgotten the order, but they were Ernst and Winnie and Ernst and Young. And so I did go straight to work for them, worked here in the Grand Rapids office for two years. I had no, had not had any intention of further education, but um, ultimately I did decide to go to law school. So after two years at Ernst, um, I had earned my CPA. Michigan had a, at that time had a two-year work requirement in addition to passing the exam to be certified. So um, I did happen to get that done and then went off to law school for three years at the University of Michigan Law School. Um, during the course of that education, had the opportunity for some summer clerkships and uh, worked with a Grand Rapids firm. And I split a summer with a South Bend firm. And I actually split that summer with uh, the Ernst & Young tax practice because I really wasn't sure if I might want to go back into that. Okay. But ultimately, uh, upon graduating from law school, I did join a local firm here in Grand Rapids uh, called Law Weathers and Richardson, a uh, smaller type firm, but had been around. I think it was second oldest in Michigan. And uh, one of the neat things with uh, Law Weathers was I came in with a strong accounting background. Of course, I had practiced, and that was my major. Um, I did end up with much more of a business uh, focus in my practice, but uh, they let me try a lot of different things because I really wasn't sure. Maybe I'd turn out to be a litigator. I wasn't, but I had some good experiences. Um, after four years, actually during my fourth year, but I did practice with them for a little over four years and um, had a very, un again, unexpected encounter, unexpected turn, uh, encountered a family friend who I'd known all my life, who was a Dominican sister of Grand Rapids. And I suddenly realized, I, I know I'm not feeling completely fulfilled in my practice as a lawyer. And I looked into joining the Dominican Sisters at Grand Rapids, and that's the path I've followed now for, I think it's 35 years or so. Did you really? That's amazing. And and it's one at some point then you went and received your master's degree, right? A master's degree? I did. Um, so after I joined the religious congregation, that was 1987, I worked at Aquinas College here in Grand Rapids for about mm -hmm. 10 years. I started there when I joined the congregation, um, not sure I could manage a law practice and, and do the beginning steps of becoming a sister all at once. So um, I did teach accounting and business law for a few years at Aquinas. Uh, of course, I, I kept my hand in the law for the first year because, boy, I didn't know if this change was going to stick or not. Sure. Uh, so I worked just a few hours. But ultimately, so I, I taught at Aquinas. Then I became the controller and then the vice president of finance. And after 10 years of that, then I, I felt it was time for a change. And I went on to Catholic Theological Union in Chicago to earn a master's degree in theology. And then when you finished that, did you go back to Aquinas? I did not. When I finished that, I joined uh, the Secretariat for Social Justice of the Diocese of Grand Rapids as the program director. So um, in my time of study, uh, two, two really significant things. One was I sort of minored in scripture and I was able to spend a trimester studying in Greece and Israel, which was really phenomenal. And my primary area of study was what we would call systematics, or I don't know, another word for it would kind of be the straight theology in a way. And so I did a lot of uh, work with Catholic social teaching and just recognized that my background in business and law uh, 
added with a theology, I felt was a, a really good combination to explore the tenets of social justice and how to put our faith into action. So I worked for four years for the Diocese of Grand Rapids and the Secretariat for Social Justice and learned a lot, uh, really putting faith in action. Um, I can continue the career path. It's uh, not too varied after that. When I left the diocese, um, one of the areas I had uh, really explored was urban sprawl and justice issues arising out of urban sprawl using, again, the principles of Catholic social teaching, care for earth, the dig dignity of people, um, the right to work, and so forth. And I uh, did some work related to housing. So I ultimately joined, I think, what's now known as the Coalition to End Homelessness as its coordinator for a couple of years. Uh, formally, my employer of record was the Salvation Army, which held a grant from the county of Kent County for this position. So I, I did that work for two years, learned an awful lot about homelessness. Of course, the cause of homelessness is not having a home. And so the solution invite involves finding housing and then meeting other needs. But from then, uh, from that work in 2006, I was elected into leadership on our Dominican Sisters leadership team. And so for the past 16 years, I've been working on our leadership team uh, initially as the counselor for finance. And I spent six years as the prioress. And now currently I'm in my fourth of six years on the leadership team. And, and finance is one of the areas I work with uh, again. So that, that accounting background still comes into play today. It sure does. It sure does. We have an excellent lay staff, which does the, the real work, but it really helps to engage the conversation. We're doing some major transitioning um, of our campus, and, uh, and, and we, again, try to use our voice for good, and it really helps to understand commerce, the economy, uh, the needs of people, and so forth. When you chose this... I'm going to call it different career path and pardon for not, I, I still call it a career in what you're doing. How did you choose the Dominicans? Is it because Aquinas was, was there in Grand Rapids or were there other influences? Well, I wish I could give a more profound answer, but I'd have to say really it was because they were my teachers from grade school through high school. Um, and my dad was a Catholic school teacher, a high school teacher. And so we had lots of contacts with the sisters and the, and the clergy who worked there. So just have always admired the Dominican sisters in my life. And as I explored, you know, I, I became more aware of maybe the why I found the congregation so engaging. Um, the Dominican uh, order has been around for more than 800 years. Um, it's, its primary focus is preaching. And, and for me, that's about just sharing the gospel, whether it's in the mode of, of uh, preaching from a pulpit or preaching with your life or preaching with your work. Um, the Dominican motto of truth uh, the Dominican charisms of prayer, study, ministry, and community. All those things clearly resonate with me, but I can't claim I knew all of them when I started on this path. So, Sister, that being said, I'm going to ask, it's probably going to be a series of three questions, but to me, they all kind of interrelate. And based on today, what are you passionate about? And that kind of leads to, what today truly motivates you? And then what's what do you think has driven you to the point of where you are today? And, and I think they all inter, interrelate. That's why I put them all together. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think they do interrelate. And I think really in many ways, I would answer each of the three questions the same way with the word service. So what I'm passionate about is service. Um, how can I be of service to people? How can I put my, the, the things with, with which I've been blessed, the gifts I have to work for others? And in the context of religious life, um, as I said, one of the Dominican uh, charisms or, or focuses is, is ministry or service. And so it's really about doing uh, meaningful work that helps me grow and that helps others. And I have had the opportunity to do so much of that. Really, I would say even in accounting and law before I became a sister, when those skills or areas of practice or work are put are put to use, you really are helping people. Those people might be companies, they might be for-profit, they might be not-for-profit. Um, in, in law situations, you're helping maybe resolve a conflict or, or find new paths. So I think that theme of service is what really carries through for me. I think it's, um, it's how my parents raised me, uh, my, my mom and dad, you know, six children, all of us went from grade school through college at Catholic colleges, Catholic schools, pardon me, at Catholic schools. That that required an investment of time. Um, they were all about living their lives for us and others. So I just think that theme has resonated throughout everything I've done. Um, it's helped me to grow because I've really encountered others. It isn't It isn't about me. It's about how the blessings I have can serve other people. That's great insight. Thank you. If you had the chance to talk to a young Maureen Geary when this in college today, what would you tell her? Um, I, you know, one thing I would say is to take a language. So I, I'm looking back now a whole lot of years on my Notre Dame education. At that time, I think business majors were the only ones not required to take a language, a foreign language. And of course, today we would say, oh my goodness, you know, commerce is worldwide. Why did we do that? But so I didn't take a language in college. I had two years of high school French. And so one thing I would say is take Spanish in, in college. Um, probably another thing I would do is I looked back, I had a really fulfilling time in college and, and I was very much engaged with others and doing things. One of the things I did not do in college, but I have done since, is volunteering with nonprofit entities. I, I remember my classmates, so I'm not remembering all of the institutions now, but they, they volunteered at different nonprofits near campus, uh, working with uh, children who are differently enabled, um, teaching, so forth. So I probably today would say, I'm gonna do some outside service. I did work with the accounting um, I think it was an accounting club and we did the accounting for the campus organization. So I did a little bit of that, but I would say to get outside of the academic environment and, uh, and do some more things, even as a young person in college, overseas study, if that was available, it wasn't to my knowledge then for business majors, but, but it is now. So from your perspective, what do you think it, it takes to be successful? You know, um, I did think about this question a little bit in advance, and I thought, gosh, I'm not quite sure what success is. And um, I know I'm, I'm uh, overemphasizing this theme, but I thought, you know, maybe if a person really felt engaged in the pursuit of success, that might be an impediment. Maybe it's the pursuit of service. 
And if you serve and use the things with which you've been blessed to serve others, you will enjoy a measure of success, whether whether that's financial, whether that's satisfaction, whether that's joy, whether that's relationship. Um, for me, that's what success is, is having all of those things in abundance. And um, so, so I, I don't really have a, a thought about pursuing success. Maybe it's just pursuing life and let, let, let good things follow. Sure. When you look at, at your, your life, your career, who's had a, a big, tremendous impact on you? So as you kind of noted before, my, my career path, my life path is pretty unusual. So, so I've had lots of encounters along the way. Um, I, I think I would say three things. I'll, I'll make it concise, but one would be my parents. Uh, my parents really showed me the way to be a person for others, I would say. Um, I also think about early in my career as a lawyer and then ever since, I have served on a lot of nonprofit boards, probably at least 20. And um, I've, in, I've encountered people from other faith traditions, from other um, approaches to civic service, civil service. Um, and so let yourself be influenced by people outside of your sphere of influence, people that are providing housing, people that are feeding hungry people, people that are advocating in the community. They may come from a very different faith tradition and a very different education. Um, but the third one, I do want to mention specifically a person that I would say is very influential is a, a sister, a Loretto sister, Patricia Murray and her uh, religious congregation initials are IBVM. Sister Pat was at Catholic Theological Union when I was back in the late 90s, um, Irish born. And she is and has been now for several years the executive director of the uh, International Union of Superiors General, which is an international group of the heads of women's religious orders. So in, our, in the Dominican tradition, that's called a prioress. Others might call it a president or different terms. But Sister Pat, Sister Pat Murray, if you ever get a chance to Google her, her intelligence, her understanding of mission, her ability to marshal resources from everywhere, bring out the best in people, and all of it is in service of people in need is so inspirational to me. So I really have to call out Sister Pat Murray. To me, that's that's really interesting because one of the things that I am going to say I struggled with in preparing for our conversation today was talking about leadership. And everything you've talked about in regard to service to me is all about leadership and that whole servant leader mentality. And it's intriguing to have you bring that up with Sister Pat. It's certainly something I'm going to personally look at. Um, but, you know, when you look back at, at your career, again, to me, it's, it's you, you've made a, a very conscious decision and a, been a fantastic, intriguing career. Are there any things that you've learned? And I don't want to say mistakes that you made, but just things that you've learned that I think our listeners would benefit from because the service aspect to me is is very insightful, very tremendous for all of us. But anything you can share with us to, to benefit, I think would be great. Sure. Um, actually, two things just popped into my head that that might be relevant to, to young people who are in school today. And they both have to do with... Um, finding and using your voice. So, so not being afraid to speak up just real briefly. I remember two of my encounters at Notre Dame as a business student 
One of them was in my first, maybe my second, second accounting course. And there was a legendary professor named Dr. Ray Powell, who was a former Marine. And he was really tough and he kind of intimidated everybody. And I think it was like a quiz very early in the term with him, you know, a 12 question quiz or something. And I get my paper back and it says um, 100% A minus. (laughs) And I thought, why did I get an A minus? So I actually got brave enough to go and make an appointment to see Dr. Powell. And he said, yeah, you got all those questions right. But I'd like, he said, so clearly you're, you have some aptitude for accounting. I'd like you to speak up in class. I'd like you to maybe pose questions or answer questions or something. So he really challenged me to not be about my own learning, but speak up in class. And the second one, not too dissimilar, was a, I think it was my first management class. And I'm sorry, at the moment, I'm not remembering her name. I had a female professor, one of the few I had in business school at Notre Dame. She had had some international experience teaching, if I remember correctly, um, at the American College in Beirut. I think her name was Dr. Sandra Richards. I think that's right. And she, too, one day after class, asked me to stay behind. And she just said, you know, you have something to offer. I hope you'll speak up more. So, so I would say, find your voice and don't be afraid that you're going to sound stupid or make a mistake or you don't speak up because you know everything you speak up because you can make a contribution and maybe encourage somebody else to share. So, so I would say, you know, one of the mistakes I would have made was remaining silent. So speak up. And I think the second thing, and this is just particular to me, um, but it's probably the fine line between delegating well um, really trusting the people that work for you in the sense that if you're the supervisor, delegate well, empower them, let them do their job, but don't don't have a sink or swim mentality. So it's delegation with mentoring and with um, clarity around what it is you're asking. I think I can tend towards uh, a little bit of micromanagement, I'm told. I think it's because I I find details important and they, they help me understand, uh, but I need to always work on, have I been clear enough? Do I need to just let this person make his or her way and, uh, and, and contribute to our enterprise? Tremendous. What do you do today to ensure that, that you continue to grow and develop and learn? Well, uh, I guess one of the um, real benefits I have of being a woman religious is I have a lot of mentors right around me. My sister's in community and they come from all walks of life. So just listening to stories and hearing, wow, that's that's an encounter she had. I wonder if I could put that into practice. Um, another would be as a elected leader in a religious congregation, I belong to a national organization called the Leadership Conference of Women Religious. And we have all kinds of opportunities, um, often spiritual based, spiritually based, and sometimes really content uh, based. But I have all kinds of opportunities to attend workshops and webinars and so forth. Um, I don't find as much time as I'd like to read books about, you know, growing in management skills or things like that. But I think it's just the lived experience and the the listening to others, the relational learning. And I've got lots of good role models around me all the time. And maybe I should also mention this great time I've had serving on boards from diverse areas, like I said, housing, uh, food, um, medical, college boards, and just learning from different areas of practice that are not my own, but I can learn how people lead there. Okay. 
I, I want to switch gears to a little bit and talk uh, about the IBC, the International Business Council. So uh, our mission is to really continue the foundation set initially with the SIB, this SIBC, the Student International Business Council, which is all it's foundational. It's peace through commerce by pr- providing our members with learning opportunities, networking, and opportunity to make an impact. And can you just speak a little bit about more of our vision, what our vision, the IBC vision would mean to you? And that vision is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. And and, and some points that might may be too um, vague, but just kind of big picture how you would interpret that. Well, first of all, I would say when you first contacted me, John, I, I did not know of this organization and I love the mission. I absolutely love that mission statement. I think it's so appropriate. Um, even the short, I don't know if you call it a tagline, but peace through commerce. Um, I mean, I'll be honest in my time in religious life, um, and not so much on the boards, but, you know, sometimes business and commerce has a, a bad connotation that it's all profit hungry and about myself. And, and I found myself sometimes being a defender of commerce as um, and a, a factor for the common good, as you as you just proposed. So that mission statement really echoes with me. And when commerce is used to um, to serve and to grow, which I really think I should have looked up the word. I love to look up exact definitions. But for me, that really does talk about um, a force for good because we need to, to trade in goods. We need to supplement what we have, food with what we don't have, clothing, or what I mean, just very basic examples. So um, the idea of peace through commerce really resonates. The global part of it really resonates for me because we are such a a global enterprise today. We always have been, but more so than ever with communications and travel and supply chain and and all those things. Um, Here in Grand Rapids, we have uh, uh, what's growing into be really an international area of um, health, of medical research. And so whether it's based on medicine or products or technology, it's the the learning grows through our international community and persons from all over the world. So those resonate with me. And if I could give one brief example, too, that I think I think really fits here. One of my uh, siblings, one of my brothers, is a research scientist, Ph.D. in science. And he uh, has been involved over the years in drug research and um, has worked with some countries, for example, in Africa to grow the reality that in these countries, they have the resources, the natural resources they need to make needed medications. Our old model has been, and I'm paraphrasing this because I am not the expert, but has been that, you know, business might find the funds to create the drug and market the drug, but the profits flow out of the country from which the natural resources uh, were first uh, drawn. And so this model that says, let's put that commerce right in that country, let's let's empower and let its own um, expert citizens, you know, create the resources, uh, produce the drug, market it, distribute it, deliver it to those in need. And let's let, that's still business, but it's business that stays at home. So I don't know, that, that to me spoke a little bit to your mission is recognizing how commerce serves the common good everywhere, 
And when we, we have that global mindset, I think all the boats get raised. So understanding that and with you know, today, if you, if you think about today's college graduates, if you were asked to, to speak to a graduating class this coming May, you know, six months from now, and this, these kids all have this insatiable appetite to make an impact on the world, but don't know where to start. Where would you, what would you tell them? Where, where, what's the start point for them? Well, I, mean, I think one of it is whatever your career path, whatever company or practice you choose to join after you graduate, um, invest yourself, learn. Whether or not you stay at that entity and whether its product is sort of mundane or um, you know really life-changing, learn everything you can where you are because you'll take those skills of um, team building and uh, understanding data and utilizing it wherever you go. So, so invest yourself in your in your new enterprise, no matter what it is. And while you're doing that, um, keep your eyes open to I'm going to come back to my term of service service opportunities. Sure. Look for some local boards, whether it's a school, even if it's not a board, a school that needs readers to some of the kids, or let the kids read to you. But find a way to let yourself be influenced by others who might not be on the same path of financial security um, that you might have joined. So find ways to see what are the needs out there that might later engage me either as a volunteer with them or even as a extension of my career path. And I would also say just read broadly, pay attention to the news, uh, don't pay attention to the partisan stuff that gets us nowhere, but listen deeply to find the truth in whatever positions being being advocated um, and try to make the world a better place. Um, so don't be in a cocoon, but really do invest where you find yourself first and then be open to where you might be led more broadly uh, later in life. Excellent. So my, my last three questions, more much more general, much more, you know, fun. Well, the first one you might not think is fun, but <laughs> what are you most proud of in your life? Um, what am I most proud of in my life? I think maybe just that I've, I've persevered, I've endured. Um, and that, I don't mean that to sound negative. Um, I've stayed on the path. I've stayed uh, challenged. I've not, I think I've not taken the easy way, although I certainly have every need I might have is provided for. So I can't say that that I also have chosen a really difficult path. But I think I'm just proud that I'm willing to take the next step and the next challenge and recognize that um, what I don't have within myself to bring to it will be provided by God or by my companions. And that's interesting because I'm gonna, my last question I'm gonna ask you now, and I still have one more after that. In that, in generally I, I ask people if, if they were you know, given a hundred million dollars or a million dollars, whatever it is, in, in essence, they didn't, wouldn't have to work anymore the rest of their life. What would they do? And in, in your case, that were, you said, you know, you've been, everything's been provided for you, but what would you do with a hundred million dollars? How would you utilize that money for the rest of your life or for next generations? 
Um, it was funny when I first was thinking about that question, I thought, now, is this a hundred million I have to give away or is this saying, how will you, uh, you know, have an enjoyable life with it? So I, I think it's both and. It's both, um, whichever both way you and. want to interpret it. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer um, in meeting immediate needs. So if someone's hungry, you need to get them some food. If someone is homeless, you need to get them housing. So when you think about philanthropy and grant making, I really do believe in some of that money going to what I would call operations or immediate needs. So I'd, I'd find a way to get some money to people in Ukraine and people in various countries in Africa and various parts of the U.S. and uh, Eastern Europe and South America, wherever, and, and meet immediate needs. I also would invest in infrastructure. So what is needed to um, address water shortages in places so that people can have what they need to grow crops and so forth. So I, I'm a believer in both immediate needs and then I, I named some of those in some um, grant making that would allow uh, people around the world to do their own growth and development with the, the basic resources. You know, that old argument about pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you don't have any boots, you're not going to pull up too far. So get, get the basics there. And, and then, um, and some of the areas of focus for me would be food uh, and water and education and climate measures. Because if we don't address our climate crisis, a lot of what we're doing is going to be in vain, I'm afraid. So we've got to do some climate uh, crisis uh, addressing. Um, and then I thought also about, well, what about for me? So if I had $100 million, um, I, would, uh, I would do some of the things I love to do, which is read and study and uh, visit places. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention was in 2015, I got to walk the Camino Portugal in Portugal. So just to be traveling and walking and be out in nature. And then I thought, lastly, I would watch a lot of baseball in person. I've told a few people that if I ever get a sabbatical, I want it. I want to get to every baseball stadium in the United States. I love baseball, so that's something I really enjoy. I would I would find some ways to have some leisure as well. That's refreshing. Thank you. Um, and you just mentioned reading, which kind of goes to my last question. So I, I don't know if you have time to read, but if you do, you know, what do you like to read? Any good books? Any recommendations? Any authors? You know, um, actually, as you mentioned. Uh, Probably in most of my um, adult life, I have not read as much as I wish I did. As a kid, I read all the time. And I just hadn't found time even for novels or historical fiction, things like that. When COVID hit um, and we uh, all had to scramble and, and were quite isolated, all of these evening obligations I had and travel for conferences came to an end, I decided I really needed to read more. And so one of the things I did was I got the uh, I got a Libby app on my iPhone so I could get books out of the library. And a lot of them I listen to on tape while I walk. And I just decided I wanted to um, broaden my exposure to books from different cultures. So um, I, I listened to more than read. Um, I actually did go back and look up some of the, the uh, uh, books I read. One was called The Eagles of Heart Mountain about the uh, internment of Japanese during World War II and, um, and, and how that uh, unfolded and unraveled in our country and damaged uh, many people's lives. Um, I read the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontent. 
Um, one I read a novel called The Beekeepers of Aleppo, which was about some of the violence in, in the Middle East and in, in Syria. Very moving. Um, actually, a fun book that I, well, I shouldn't say just fun because it's a serious story, but a very engaging novel I read. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society book, which was set in World War II. It was very fascinating. Um, yeah, I read a, a book, um, American Dirt, about migration uh, across the southern border of the U.S. Um, I read a book called Once I Was You. So I, I tried to read broadly and just sample uh, either authors I'd heard about or just areas of uh, reality in our in our history that I needed to know more about, even if it wasn't actual um, an historical book. It wasn't a heavy tome, but it was historical fiction that would expose me to some of those realities. And I've really enjoyed that. I feel like my horizons have been broadened. Wonderful, thank you. And that's going to that's the conclusion of our conversation. So, sister, thank you. This has been. One, inspiring for me, certainly insightful, and I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I've enjoyed it. And good luck to all your listeners and wherever life takes them. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening today to Continuum, the IBC's podcast series. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And for more information about the IBC, visit our website at ouribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C dot com. Thanks.